chapter 10, verses 19 through 39, joyful warning, two words that don't really uh, typically go together. i give you just a little Bible quiz, I guess you could say, start off with just a Bible quiz of sorts. James Boyce says this, he says this is a great text, he's not talking about this, he's talking about another one, maybe you can figure it out, I don't know. Um, no problem if you can't. He's talking about one verse in the Bible. He says, this is a great text. It could even be called the great text of the Bible. To understand it is to understand the Christian gospel and the Christian life. It is so important that it is picked up by the New Testament writers, twice by Paul and once by the author of the book of Hebrews, here in our passage today. Again, Boyce said it may be called the great text of the Bible. Well, I won't just yet give you the reference, but I will tell you a bit of what it says. And it says this very simply and very profoundly. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Speaking of that very sentence, Speaking of that very sentence, Martin Luther said this, Before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God and was angry with Him because, not content with frightening us sinners by the law and by the miseries of life, He still further increased our torture by the gospel. Luther said, I hated God. He tortures us by the miseries of life, by the law, and by the gospel He tortures us. But, When by the Spirit of God I understood those words, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Then I felt born again like a new man. I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God, says Luther. Just that one sentence. Just that one sentence. The righteous shall live by faith. Well, the big picture agenda that we want to do this morning with God's help is we want to really investigate this this big chunk of Scripture, Hebrews 10, 19-39. We want to, first of all, investigate or let it investigate us. We want to really start to study this passage, or better said, let it study us. And then secondly, what we want to do is we want to look at that that key verse, which is uh, in many ways the background for this passage. We want to look at that and see where it's found and, and see it in its original context. And then with those two things, then we will come back to finally see what is the thrust of this passage. What is the message of this passage here for us today? The point number one, and there's, there's just two main points this morning. Point number one this morning is this, is that I'm here today to warn and to encourage you. I'm here today to encourage you and to to warn you. As you look at 20 or 21 verses of, 
of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 39, I think a great entry point, uh, a great way for us in this morning is, is not, first of all, verse 19 or even verse 26. And man, do I really, I really want to focus on verses 26 through 31, which I consider the heart of this passage this morning. But I think a great way in is, is to look somewhere else. Let me ask you this question this morning. I want you to really think about this. I don't claim that it's a great question. I'm not trying to be some super probing preacher. But I want you to think about how you would respond. How would you respond if specifically related to your testimony, specifically related to the fact that you identified with Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ, if your house was not just toilet papered, as some of you did to my house six years ago, returning from a youth trip. Still so grateful for that. But how would you respond if your house was not just TP'd, but it sustained significant damage at the hands of angry, godless unbelievers? How would you respond to that? Or, or if you came out of an important Christian gathering, I praise the Lord for uh, some of the ladies, just the report, that was a wonderful gathering yesterday. By the way, we weren't trying to be hard-nosed last week. It, it was it was those folks up in Wilson who capped the registration, so that's why we said we couldn't invite everybody except for those who had already registered. But what if you go to a, a meeting, and it's a specifically Christian meeting, and you come out and you find that your car has been vandalized, and it's pretty pretty clear, pretty obvious that your car was vandalized because you were there at the Christian meeting. How would you respond? Does happiness go together with suffering and persecution? What do you think about that? Does happiness go together with suffering and persecution? Look at verse 32. This is, let me, let me get to the text. This is a great way in. Verses 32 through 34 Verses 32 through 34 are three verses that we've looked at before when I tried to do just kind of a a big picture message on Hebrews. At one point, I just, in this series, just wanted to say, what's the message of the whole book? And we may not know everything about the people who received this letter, but this really helps us. This really helps us with what was going on in their lives, in their background. Who were these people? Look at verse 32. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. This is not only a great passage, we can begin this paragraph today, but as I say, it's it's helpful to understand the whole book and what was going on with these people called the Hebrews. Dear Christian friend, let me ask you this morning, how is your memory? How is your memory? 
There may be concerns on the national level about the memory of Senator McConnell. There may be concerns about the memory of President Biden. I'm concerned about my own memory for that matter. What is the key word in verses 32 through 34? This passage, these three verses that help us to understand. It's okay to start here in this, in this large paragraph. It, it gives us an in. What's the key word? I submit to you that the key word is right there in verse 32. It's recall. Recall. Here's the deal. As believers living in a fallen world, listen to me, as believers living in a fallen world, we often need to be reminded because we are so prone to forget. We are so prone to forgetfulness. I want to speak to you the gospel this morning, and I'm so glad you're here. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to the word of God. And the thing that we need as believers is to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel as believers living in a fallen world. We need to be reminded. He says to them, and remember my point number one this morning is that I'm here, I'm here today. I'm not here to explain scripture to you. I am, but not in some type of just just let me give you my interpretation or let me give you the right interpretation. I want to do that. I do want to do that. But I am here today to encourage you and to warn you. And what he says here in this very pivotal verse, it's very subtle. He says, recall. He says to them, and, and before we're going to leave this three verses here in just a minute, we're going to leave these here soon. But he says to them, I want to encourage you by you. I want to encourage you. Have you ever been encouraged by yourself? Have you ever been encouraged by... That's not a bad thing. It's not necessarily arrogant or conceited to be encouraged by yourself. Have you ever been encouraged by your past self? That's what he's doing. He's saying, I want to encourage you by your past selves. I want to encourage you because there was a time... Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you recall? Oh, how prone to forget we are. What poor memories we have when the whole Bible says, remember, do this in remembrance of me. Put up these stones so that your children will never forget. Recall, do you remember? Do you remember when you first became Christians, Hebrews, and you were severely persecuted? Do you remember? Because you know, right, that people in prison back in those days would rot and die in prison. There was no food given to them in prison. There was no clothes given to them in prison. The only way that they lived if you were in prison was for somebody, a friend, a friend, to bring you food and drink and clothing. Do you remember when you were first converted? Are you converted this morning? Do you remember the early days of your conversion to Jesus Christ? He says to them, you identified with the people in prison at great risk. People had to take prisoners food and drink and clothing at great risk. And you did it. And he said, you were persecuted. And he says in these most, um, these most wonderful words, these astounding words, he says, listen, he says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. What? You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property.
Why? Verse 34. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You're walking along and and this bully comes up to you and somehow he knows that you've got a hundred dollar bill. He doesn't need it. He's wealthy already. And this bully comes up and he knows you've got a hundred dollar bill. He, he's a nasty guy. He, he takes your hundred dollar bill and he, he burns it. He gets out his cigarette lighter. He lights it on fire right in front of you just to be nasty. He doesn't need the money, obviously, or else he would have taken it. He burns the hundred dollar bill. He walks away pleased with himself for being such a nasty bully. Little does he know as there are onlookers looking at you and wondering, how can you be so calm? Why did that not bother you more? Well, it bothered you. It's not cool. Not cool at all. It bothered you. Little did he know and little do they know that you've got a, a literal treasure chest over there with $300,100 bills. Which is just a tiny pale comparison to what he says here. He says you had compassion in verse 34 on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Since you knew. That you yourselves had a better possession. And an abiding one. Do you remember your heavenly mindedness when you were first converted to Christ? Well, it's a great entry point today. It's a great entry point to this text, Hebrews 10, 19 through 39. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 6 for just a moment. Would you look at Hebrews chapter 6? Hebrews chapter 6. Do you remember Hebrews 6, 4 through 8? Maybe you remember it from our time there, or maybe you remember it or know it just because it's a very famous passage. Hebrews 6, verse 4 says this, It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. We'll stop there, Hebrews 6, 4-7. through 7. What, what you see in Hebrews chapter 6, really, uh, get this, really, Hebrews 5.11 through 6.12, Hebrews 5.11 through 6.12, what you see is super strong warning followed by massively comforting encouragement. Okay, just warning and encouragement. Hebrews 5.11 through 6.12. This is not all that you see there. It's not everything, but you see warning, pretty sober. And then you see encouragement. Oh, and by the way, there's a super important introduction, which begins at 5.11. And the reason I bring that up as we go back to Hebrews 10, the reason I bring that up is because I always, I always want to keep the whole book before our eyes, and it's been pointed out, and this is just really helpful, really helpful, it's been pointed out that the structure, it seems so eerily similar, the structure between 5.11 to 6.12 and 10.19 to 39, seems so similar 
that maybe, just maybe, it was on purpose. Maybe, just maybe, it was on purpose. Maybe what he says in between those two pieces of bread, in between his sandwich, right? 511 to 612, 1019 through 39. Maybe, just maybe, one is the introduction, the other one is the conclusion and application, and in the middle is the meat of the sandwich and is the main teaching, which would be chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10, part 1, the main teaching that he's been given, which is summarized in Hebrews 8, 1. Now the point in what we were saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, Jesus Christ. Well, I hope that made sense. If it didn't, then just simply get this. Chapter 6 and chapter 10 both have warning and encouragement. Look at verse 26. Hebrews 10, 26. I am here today to encourage you and to warn you. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, Hebrews 10.28, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people and will pause there. Crossway Church, let these words be etched on your mind and in your heart. What words? Verse 31. Let these words be forever etched on your mind and in your heart. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He says here, and I think that's one way you could summarize this little paragraph, 26 through 31. Remember, I think it's really neat. You know, you can, you can break this whole thing down into three or four sections. And the three or four sections here correspond right with the three or four sections in 511 through 612. Chapter 6, that's a serious warning. This is a serious warning. 26 through 31. It's for you. It's for me. It's for you. Believer, church, Christian, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so I want to say to you this morning, that if you go on sinning deliberately, listen to me, good news, my brother and sister, good news. This is not talking about when I say if you go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's not talking about the fact that we as believers sin daily because we do. It's not something that we want to do. The regenerate heart says, I don't want to sin. 
I don't want to offend my Lord and my God. But it is something that we do daily. That's not what this is talking about. Please take comfort. Listen to what it is talking about. If you go on sinning deliberately, are you listening to me this morning? What does that mean? You know what that means, deliberately. If you go on sinning in a, in a high-handed, willful way, right? The Bible talks about this, by the way, in the book of Numbers. Let me just share that with you very quickly. In Numbers chapter 15, verse 30, listen to this. The whole Bible is so relevant. Numbers 30, 15, the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. Which is to say, there was a category in the law for sins of high-handedness, for sins with intention, and then there was a category for sins, still sin, that was without intention, that was not high-handed. The passage before us this morning says that if, it says if, if, if we, if we go on sinning deliberately, there, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. It doesn't say, it doesn't say if we, if we sin or it says if we go on sinning. Is your life dominated by sin? Then you need to repent of your rebellion and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who shed His blood on the cross for sinners like you and was raised from the dead so that everyone who repents and believes would have eternal life. But he says, he writes this to the church. And he says, if you go on sinning deliberately, there remains no sacrifice for sin. Do you see that there in the text? It not only says that, it says, after receiving the knowledge of the truth. This is somebody who has, you know, I was, say I, you say, I was seven and I, I became a Christian. I was 27 and I made my profession of faith. I, I, I received the gospel. I embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, then dear friend, nothing remains. There's no sacrifice for sins. What he's specifically saying is if you reject Jesus Christ, if you reject the cross of Christ, you're, you're spitting on the only means of salvation that God gives. There's one name given among men under heaven by which you must be saved. There's not two names and there's not three ways. There's one way and there's one name and it's Jesus Christ. If you reject the cross of Christ, if you reject the gospel, then by Nature, you have rejected God's one means. You have spit in God's face. Ultimately, right? What is he talking about here? He's talking about apostasy. This is not the first time we've seen this. He's talking about apostasy. You can associate this in one sense with the unpardonable sin. How much greater 
You see, Jesus is greater than Moses. You see, Jesus is greater than the angels. You see, Jesus is greater than all of the Old Testament priests, certainly including the high priests. Jesus is better. You see, Jesus and the covenant that he inaugurates, Jesus and the covenant that he starts through his blood is a better covenant than the old covenants. And so, and so, you listen to me, under the law of Moses, as Matthew Henry points out, under the law of Moses, you may have committed a high-handed, get that in your mind, Hebrews 10, 26, you may commit a high-handed sin, and think about this, you may die physically, but maybe you put your trust in God, and before you die, you cast yourself on the mercy of God, like a, like a death row criminal, right? They're going to kill you under the law of Moses, because that's what God's word says. You've committed a high-handed sin. But Jesus has not yet come. The cross has not yet happened. And so you cast yourself on the mercy of God as your own death row. And you're saved for all of eternity, even though you die physically. Not so in the new covenant. He says here, listen to me. On the authority of the word of God, he's speaking about apostasy. He says, if you, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, if you reject Jesus, not if you reject the law of Moses, if you reject Jesus Christ, if your life is dominated by sin, and especially it's dominated by a rejection deliberately of the cross of Christ. That's why Crossway exists. I'm not talking about the name Crossway. That's why we exist. It's the cross of Christ. That's the banner that we want to fly out there. Is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's a fountain filled with blood, friend. And if that is rejected, it is not the same as rejecting the law of Moses. It is rejecting Jesus Christ and His shed blood. It's spitting upon God. It's spurning the Holy Spirit. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. How much worse punishment, verse 29. Look at verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But, but, verse 32, But I love you. I think well of you. I think well of your testimony from earlier. I want to encourage you with you. But recall the former days. When after you were enlightened. By the way, does anybody read that verse 32? After you were enlightened. What's your natural interpretation of that? Are they Christians or not? Yeah. Why do we say enlightened? 6 doesn't mean a believer. I think it could mean a believer in Hebrews 6. Same word. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. Now look at it again. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Are you reading that? That's crazy. 
joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, not because you were a sadomasochist, but because of this, because of this, because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I've got a uh, box over here, and that it's been counted, and I've got $300,100 bills. It's not cool what that guy did, but it's, you know, it is what it is, right? Well, that's, very imper- that's a very imperfect illustration. Your lives were changed. Your lives are changed. You're heavenly minded. You want to do good works. You're, you're for this world because you're so consumed with Christ and the, and the world to come. Number two is much more brief. Number two is this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Number one was, I am here today to warn you and to encourage you. Number two is this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I just want to remind you again of verse 34. Joy. Joyful warning. Joy. Happiness. Don't. Don't make this super fine distinction between true happiness and joy. It doesn't exist. True happiness. Joy. Got it? Hold your place here. Hold your place here. Go to Habakkuk. Habakkuk. How are you going to do that? You're going to go to the first book of the New Testament. Unless you're cheating with a phone. Unless you're cheating with a phone or you're one of those gurus who puts us all to shame and says, I can turn to the any minor prophet on the blink of an eye. Well, good for you. The rest of us, we go to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and we go back four or five books, okay? Go to Matthew, and then go back four or five books to Habakkuk. Hopefully we're keeping our place in Hebrews 10. We want to look at this quickly. You remember I said that there was a sentence. We'll get there in just a minute. We'll get there in a minute. There was a sentence that Martin Luther said, this sentence opened to me the door of the paradise of God. And James Boyce, of course, said this verse, which we'll get to in just a second. He said, this is the text of the Bible. Well, I just need to remind you, first of all, that at the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, again, it's not far from the New Testament if you're still looking. Found it on your phone. Speak to Pastor James after the service. We've got some discipline for you. Or come down at the altar call. Hebrews 3.17 Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. You need to know texts like this. You need to know that stuff like this is in the Bible. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet... Don't go too quickly to verse 18. 17 is pretty bleak. That's pretty bleak. I don't know where you are today. 17 is pretty bleak. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy. It's not passive. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Hebrews 10. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you had an eternal and an abiding possession. Joy, in one sense, 
is everything. It goes hand in hand with faith. And here he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. And my second point out of two this morning is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Or how about Jesus? Listen to this. How about Jesus in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We have no time for a joyless Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. You need to know that passages like this are in the Bible. Or passage like Habakkuk 3.2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. Habakkuk 3.2. In wrath, remember mercy. That's wonderful. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 2.20. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Starting to make us think this is a good book. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You can count on it. What does Hebrews quote? Why are we looking at this? What does Hebrews take from this? Hebrews takes from this 2, chapter 2, 3 and 4. Habakkuk chapter 2, 3 and 4. Middle of verse 3. Middle of verse 3. If it seems slow, wait for it. Patient. Patient endurance. Patient endurance. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, this is the verse. This is Luther's verse. Habakkuk 2.4, this is the verse that is quoted in the New Testament three times. This is the verse that James Boyce said is the text of the Bible. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And I want you to close in Hebrews 10. I'm here to warn you and encourage you. I'm here to warn you and encourage you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say to rejoice that if you ever stop rejoicing in the Lord, and if you ever deny through what we call apostasy, if you ever explicitly reject the cross of Christ and Jesus Christ himself, there no longer remains a sacrifice for you. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10.35 Therefore Therefore do not throw away your confidence. What does he mean by confidence? It's another word in Hebrews for faith. It's another word for faith. Don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you, Crossway, you. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what is promised. There's one sense, there's one sense in which we don't care if you prayed a prayer or walked an aisle one year ago or 30 years ago. Where are you at today? 
4, verse 30. Are you looking at it or at least listen? 4, Habakkuk 2, 3 and 4. Jesus is coming again. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming again. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And let me just remind you of what I said in 26 through 31. Let me just remind you. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But since I'm such a good pastor, meaning the author of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Kent Hughes says, Kent Hughes says, no parent in his right mind, no relishes discipline process. No parent relishes it. The Bible's very clear that if you don't, don't, if you don't at least occasionally train a child through spanking, you may say, I love my child so much I could never spank my child. The Bible says you don't love your child the way that God says you need to love your child. And so, and so Kent Hughes says there's something painful for any good parent worth his or her salt does not relish the discipline process, but there can also be a, a wonderful opportunity to bring the young child, he says, who is, who is, who is hope, maybe hopefully broken and is shedding a tear, and to bring them close and to say, I have every confidence in you. We will, by the grace of God, and you speak words of comfort. And that is so, that, that's true in the domestic realm, and it's true here as well. He gives warning and encouragement. Heed the warning. Heed the warning. Heed the encouragement. Heed it all. It's all the word of God. Heed the gospel. You don't have to do more than believe the gospel. You've got to stay with Jesus and endure to the end. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your wonderful comfort. We think of Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people. We thank you for your comfort. We thank you for your loving warnings to us. Please help us to receive them as your loving warnings for us to keep us on the path of bliss. Thank you for Hebrews. Thank you that Jesus is better. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.